Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians confer with the Book of Concord to conform what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture in our Lutheran Confession of the Faith. On today's show, we're going to discuss why Concord Matters for writing confessional Lutheran hymnody. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Dual Parish of Emmanuel West Point and St. Paul's Wine Hill in Southern Illinois. And my companion confessor in conversation about this matter today is Pastor Stephen Starkey. He is a retired pastor and author of over 200 original hymn texts, 27 of which appear in the Lutheran Service Book. Pastor Starkey, welcome to Concord Matters. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, it is good to have you here. A great honor to have you on today as we continue our conversation about why Concord matters for Lutheran hymnody, which we started last week with Dr. John Veeker, but this week we'll get it from the perspective of someone who writes Lutheran hymnody and, may I say, writes excellent Lutheran hymns. I may just go ahead and reveal my own bias here. I I think you're probably the best Lutheran hymn writer of our age, Pastor Starkey, so uh, truly a great honor to have you on. Well, thank you very much, Sean. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. And as we continue then to make the case here on Concord Matters, not just with this show on hymnody, but really in this whole series of confessional topics that we've been taking on of why Concord matters for various things, we continue to make this point that everything that the church does, she does on the basis of her confession of faith. And so our theology, our doctrine takes on a concrete form in the things that we do in the church. And that would certainly then be true of kind of one of the main things that we do in the church, at least as far as most people tend to think of church. And that would, of course, be singing hymns. And so, Pastor Starkey, building on this conversation that we have going here on Concord Matters, from your perspective as one who writes Lutheran hymny, what would you say is the purpose of a Lutheran hymn? How do you define that in your own mind, again, as someone who writes Lutheran hymns? For me, the purpose of a Lutheran hymn is to teach the truths of the Word of God and to declare the gospel through the the rhyme text, through the text that is sung into the hearts of the people through that hymn. So it's really a a teaching tool in my mind. So a teaching tool, give us some thoughts. How does that teach? I guess to answer that question, it might be good to further a definition of what I consider a Lutheran hymn. And one that I sort of operate with is that of dogma, that is doctrine, and doxa, praise. So doctrine and praise joined together and sung in a corporate setting. And so when you think of a hymn in those terms of doctrine and praise, there's sort of almost like a dialogue that goes on in the process of singing hymns. First of all, God gives us his word. And from that word, we derive dogmatic truths that are taught in the word, and they are received by us. The praise aspect is praise is directed, our praise is directed back toward God as we really sing back to him 
the truths from his word, and then God receives our praise. So dogma and doxa, uh, sung within a congregational setting. And to expand um, a little bit more on that, so this theological dialogue really going on between God and his people, God's people who have been called out of the darkness of sin and into the marvelous light of Christ, receive the truth that God gives in his word and then sing that truth back to God as hymns of praise. And this process continues on and on. So let's think about, first of all, that truth that comes to us from the word of God. God's truth comes to us through the word. We receive that truth, although we receive it imperfectly because we are sinner saints. And as we receive that word, the Spirit uh, does his work within our hearts to hear that word and to receive it. I think about that passage from Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so really, hymnody has those truths of God's word sung into the human heart helps us to dwell in the Word of God so that that Word uh, takes up residence within us and is at home within our hearts, which means that as a hymn writer, hymn writers have to be really at home in the Word of God. They really need to know the Word of God, you know, where they are dwelling too in their own personal lives, not only to, to receive the truths of that Word, but then consciously have those truths that they're able to tap into when they're writing a hymn text. So dwelling in the Word is really important as well from a hymn writer's perspective. So the the truth of the text is really important. That's what I think is sort of troubling about happening some places in our church where the texts that are chosen for worship are not coming from a Lutheran background. So there's really not the deep theological Lutheran underpinnings beneath the text and are really the deep theological structure of the text is coming out of another Christian tradition. And if that's the daily or weekly diet that worshipers are receiving in church, then they're really not receiving the full truths of God's word or truths as confessed by the Lutheran confessions and by us as Lutherans. So that's, you know, somewhat troubling to me when you, when the hymns of the hymnal are not used and something else is put in its place. There's a lot of hymns that don't really have very much dogma, or the dogma they contain is confused, and that's not a good thing. And I think this is a really interesting and important, I should say, a very important distinction that you've made out here for us in this dogma and doxa, the doctrine and praise, if you will. And I think, as you you were even talking about there, I think a lot of people, when they think of hymnody, they think of it only in terms of the praise. And so they maybe look at it for merely, shall I say, like the aesthetics of it, you know, how it makes us feel when we sing it, the musical quality of it, which we certainly want to talk about that. And we'll come back to that idea of how the text and tune relate to one another. But can you just talk a little bit about how influential or how important it is that when we're talking about confessional Lutheran hymnody, that the text and what it's teaching us really does drive it maybe more than that doxa a little bit. Right. No, the text is always primary, always comes first. And the the music is just there to support the text. The music is the servant of the text. And for many people, you know, well, they like this tune or they don't like this tune or or they hear a tune on, let's say, the modern Christian radio channel or something, 
and they have the idea, well, that's the way all, you know, that's what I want to be singing in church, or that's what we should be hearing in church, and not really, because to get back to the focus that hymns are there to teach, that they're full of doctrinal content and dogma, that is important for Christians to have sung into their hearts, and that's what a hymn does. It sings these truths of God into the human heart, and there's just so much there. There's so much that needs to be in the content of that hymn. But people are attracted to, they don't think, as you mentioned, in terms of the text. They're thinking in terms of, I want to feel a certain way. And sadly, many churches today are just concerned about the emotional response of the people leave church, smile in their face, and you know, they a bouncy hymn or song in their heart. Well, there's more to it than that. Yeah, and as I think about your hymnody, you've made the point here that the text is coming from Scripture, and it's teaching the truths of faith. As you mentioned, the Colossians passage, that the word of Christ would dwell in you richly. As I think about your hymnody that you have written, again, of course, as I already set up, you know, big fan of your hymns, love to use them as I'm a pastor serving congregations, because they do confess the faith so beautifully. Your hymns really do draw quite widely from the scriptural imagery And your texts really just kind of drive home scriptural truths where, again, you look at some other hymnities from other traditions and so forth, and you're singing about so many other things that are just kind of out there that are maybe beautiful images, if you will. But how is that connected to the scriptural text? Right. And I especially think of one of my favorites of yours is In the Shattered Bliss of Eden. And you just start us right there in the Garden of Eden. And there's you know, maybe other hymnody that would just talk about all the details of what's the garden like and things like that. But yours is focused on the scriptural text of what happened in the garden and then leading us all the way to Christ covering our sin. And that's a pretty unique thing among modern hymn writers. And so is there a sense in which the purpose of hymnody, especially as you're an author of it, is to help us draw together or draw out those truths of scripture? Yes, definitely. To go back to that hymn you just referred to, that was written, if I'm remembering correctly, for the 50th anniversary of St. Luke's Lutheran Church in Clinton Township, Michigan. And the anniversary theme was Christ's blood outpoured. And they even had a visual image that you know they used, and that was the familiar one of the lamb with the blood flowing forth into the chalice. And so I wanted to get to that point of Christ's blood outpoured for us, you know, on the cross that we receive in the sacrament. And so to get to that point, went all the way back and started in the garden to think about Adam and Eve's self-works of clothing their own nakedness with their fig leaves was not sufficient, but rather God performs the first sacrifice, clothes them with the skins of the animals, and that sacrificial system begins and is set up there already in Genesis and continues all the way through the Old Testament, pointing forward to the one sacrifice that would come in the person of Jesus Christ for all sin, for all time. And so that, you know, I wanted to get to that point. And the focus of uh, a Lutheran hymn writer is on the Word and then also on the sacraments. You know, that it's good in my mind to think in terms of our baptismal life in Christ and also how our faith is nourished not only by the Word, but also by the sacrament of the altar. So then as you draw from the scriptural texts, to form the texts of the hymns that you're writing. Would you make the case that it's appropriate to use a hymn devotionally then? Oh, yes. Yeah, very much so. I think hymns are a beautiful source of devotional meditation because when they're anchored in God's Word, 
that word also then dwells richly in that text and then can dwell richly in the heart of the person that is meditating upon that text. You know, just to, going back to a Lutheran perspective, you know, Christ-centeredness is for me very important in a hymn text, that it centers in Christ and Scripture. Old and New Testament points to Christ, you know, pointing forward to the Christ who was to come and then pointing backward upon the Christ who came. Hymn text should be centered on Christ. In fact, when Concordia Publishing House published my first book of texts, I'm glad that they settled on the title, O Sing of Christ, which is from that Christmas text that I wrote that's in Lutheran Service Book. But that's the thing. We are to be singing of Christ. These are to be Christ-centered, biblically grounded. I've, From early on, I've had the habit of when I get done with writing a hymn text, I go back and look at the phrases and think about the scriptural verses that were in my mind when that was written. And at the very end, on my own personal file here, after the end of every text, is a series of Bible passages that were behind the text, if you will. And I think that's an important thing to do. Would you say that that's unique? I mean, I'm not actually sure how much interaction with other hymn traditions and things are, or how widely your hymns are used. I know that you and I have talked off air about at least a couple other places that your hymns have been used and so forth. But one of the things that you just mentioned there is, is that you always have scripture texts that are behind yours. And especially in Lutheran hymnody and our Lutheran service book, you can look down there in the corner and see scripture texts that that hymn is connected to. In your experience, again, with other traditions and so forth, how unique to Lutheranism is that? I think that is pretty unique to Lutheranism, to be conscious or really conscious of wanting that in a hymn text. Not to say that the scriptures ad, you know, absent in other hymns from other traditions, it's certainly not, but I think the concentration might not be as concentrated, if you will, and the you know how all scripture ties together from Genesis to Revelation, and from our perspective, viewing it as the inspired, inerrant word of God. It's the rock upon which we stand, and our faith is built upon Christ. And all of that needs to come through loudly and clearly as we sing our faith and sing out the truths of God's word. And all centered, as Jesus himself says in the Gospel of Luke, and as you've already brought out, and I agree, wonderful focus for us in the publishing of your text of, O Sing of Christ. That's ultimately what we're singing about. And so then that ties in with, you said that it's appropriate then to use hymns devotionally. Do you have any thoughts of how we can use them devotionally? I don't know how many people still have hymnals in their homes. I know when I was confirmed back in the day, I got my copy of the Lutheran hymnal with my name and confirmation date and gold on the front. And uh, that was an obvious confirmation gift to give the confirmand a hymnal or a Bible. I have a Bible too, my King James Bible that was given to me by my godparents. But nowadays, I don't know how many people actually have a hymnal in their home. I grew up with a piano in the house. And I play piano, and, and so I would play through hymns of the Lutheran hymnal just from a musical standpoint to practice my piano playing too. But of course, while you're doing that, you know, you're, I'm reading the text and things like that too. So if a person does not have access to a hymnal, now I think they're, I think the hymnals are available online. I think you can get the text of the hymns online. They are devotionally included in various things like Concordia 
publishing house has the Pray Now app that has Bible readings and always includes a hymn stanza as part of that. I had purchased from CPH a little book that, that has all the Psalms and all the hymn texts. That's all it is. And that's a fine devotional tool that could be part of a, a person's daily devotional life. Yeah, I, I have that. It's a wonderful little pocket thing, which makes right. it nice for pastoral visits. Yeah. But also just it's easy to carry with me. And as I'm a rural pastor, you know, sometimes I have to drive distances for different visits and things like that. And so you show up and they're having a procedure done or something. And so you have some time to kill because you're not going to drive back. And so, yeah, I found myself looking through that as well. And one of the things that I think is a benefit, and again, we're going to come back to this idea of how the text and tune go together. But one of the things that I think is helpful in that little pocket psalms and hymns is, is that as one who likes music and plays music and loves to sing and so forth as well, when the music is taken out, it doesn't distract me with trying to sing it. Although I still have to fight against, you know, that I know the tunes of a lot of the hymns and so forth, but that I can just focus on the words and use them devotionally in that sense, maybe even more than I do on Sundays or throughout the week when we sing hymns and so forth, that when we're singing, we're trying to make sure that we're on key or those sorts of things, right? Right. And so as you use that text, you know, for myself, I find real benefit in how that forms and shapes me. But what are your thoughts using these hymns devotionally? How does that form and shape you as a person, as a Christian living your life and faith? Well, so to think once again that a hymn is a doctrinal teaching and that the hymns teach the faith and sing the truths, really one way to view a hymnal is the doctrinal textbook for the laity. Because it is the doctrinal textbook for the laity, if you would like to receive that understanding, then the doctrine of the hymns has to be presented clearly, and the clarity of Lutheran confessions should come through loudly and clearly. And so, you know, to do that devotionally, let's say a person is not very familiar with the Lutheran confessions and may not even know what they are, but by reading a hymn devotionally, they're getting that through the message of the text. I mean, all of that is contained. Scripture is there. The confessional truths, the scriptural truths are there. The Christocentricity is there. Uh, you know, theology of the cross there. You know, it's, a, you know, it's another Lutheran strength that the highest glory of God is hidden in the weakness of the cross of Christ and the suffering and death. And the, that the cross of Christ is the Christian's glory. And the cross is mirrored in the life of the believer through suffering, the Christian experiences for the sake of the gospel. And that's the exact opposite of the theology of glory, which is the content of many praise songs uh, and things like that, too, that they never get beyond that. They never get beyond a theology of glory. So to spend devotional time with hymn texts is, you know, I myself buy books of other hymn writers. One of my favorites is Timothy Dudley Smith, and he's very Christ-centered in his texts. And I find it not only instructive to me as a hymn writer, but just devotionally a blessing to read through his texts. And so, you know, that's, I think there's a great devotional benefit to that. The problem is, you know, the mindset of people have changed since the time when I was confirmant of the present day. You know, I don't think that even hymnals are always given out as confirmation gifts. We, last year's confirmation class, we just gave the confirmants a hymnal, all of them, so... Yeah, my dual parish, I've started even a little earlier. We give in first grade a Bible, and at baptism, we do a catechism and things. And so we've started doing in second grade, giving them their hymnal and so forth. That's great. And yeah, I inherited a lot of that. I just added the hymnal to it. But 
you know, and what you were saying here too, it says, well, you're making the case that what we sing matters. And if it's, you know, you talked about the theology of glory or, you know, a lot of the contemporary music, it's so focused on me and not on Christ. Right. So what we sing then matters because there would be a great danger, I would say, if we're singing something because we like the way it feels, but it's not confessing Christ and not confessing the truths of the faith, right? Right. So last Sunday was uh, Good Shepherd Sunday. And so this was my first Good Shepherd Sunday retired. <laughs> so you have in your mind all of the great Good Shepherd hymns that you would like to include. And uh, we have a very fine organist right now who largely, I think, is in charge of choosing all the hymns. And we got them all in the worship service. Uh, and even closing, the closing hymn, Oh, Little Flock, Fear Not the Foe. And it was just a great text to sing about, you know, that we are part of Christ's flock. And yes, we're under assault all the time by Satan and the world, but don't be afraid of that. You know, God is with us and uh, our victory is sure. So that was, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm finding it different now that I'm retired. You know, I'm not in charge of choosing those hymns anymore. <laughs> so it's a different perspective, but I appreciate the ones that are chosen. They tie into the scriptural theme of the day and the church year and all of that. And that's another thing, the devotional. People can go through the hymnal devotionally through the church year. During Advent, they can be looking at the Advent text and Christmas season, uh, that type of thing. Yeah, and I have found as a pastor, and you probably found this too, that it's kind of a difficult battle almost, and I'm not even sure where this came from, but to convince our folks that we're not just selecting the hymns we like to sing from week to week. And hopefully we get to a point where we like to sing all the hymns (laughs) that are well included in our hymnal, right? Right. And we become familiar with them but that they are tied to texts and to the, you know, I, I like to make the point that even if I preach a clunker of a sermon, which maybe happens a lot, I don't know, you know, that at least, you know, that the hymns there are little mini sermons that save it, right? Right, yeah. And that's my comfort too. Well, the word was read, the hymns were sung, the sacrament was received, you know, and to always try for a home run, but that certainly doesn't happen all the time, so. Yeah, and that those hymns then are tied to the text and to the the theme of the day, if you will, of what we're confessing about our faith and learning about our faith that day. Yeah, that's what's just so absolutely, I get so annoyed when I think about the approach that people, this is what I want in worship. This is the type of music I want in worship. So I want a contemporary service because I want to hear that type of music. It's such a consumeristic approach to worship. This is what I want instead of thinking, well, do you even know what you need in worship? You know, it's like going to the doctor and saying, this is what, I want you to prescribe me this. You know, I know what my illness is and I want this to be, instead of trusting that the pastor, the church musician who have been theologically and musically trained, know what exactly needs to be in those very few slots in the Sunday morning service of hymns. You know, even going against what's so-called blended worship. Oh, let's blend in a praise song or something. Is that real? Do you really want to sacrifice that spot within the context of worship to put in a lesser, something that sings in a lesser way? I had the experience um, Palm Sunday went to the baptism of my nephew and nieces, a little girl, and it was I was actually preaching Palm Sunday at another church. 
and got to the service late, and it was a so-called contemporary service. Not a thing to do with Palm Sunday, although I think one of the praise songs had the word Hosanna in it, but it was nothing that was anything beyond praise. Didn't know any of the, I knew nothing, didn't have any of uh, the song tunes, didn't recognize the, the text itself, were really not well-crafted, nor were they, in my mind, worth singing. And yet that was the whole content of that worship service for the Lutherans, Lutheran Church of Missouri, and the Lutherans that came to worship that day. And sadly, I think that is happening more and more across our synod, so that, you know, people either are demanding what they want in worship, this is what I want, and pastors cave and say, okay, well, we're going to, we'll give you that then. Instead of taking seriously their role of leading worship, and they're, they're not MCs, they're not up there to, you know, fill the time with their thoughts, but rather fill it with a liturgy, which is the Word of God, just woven together in a beautiful way, fill it with hymns that are anchored and drenched in God's Word, and trust that the Spirit is going to be working through that. I think a lot of this is just a lack of trust that the Word is going to do its work, you know, so we've got to somehow boost it up, you know, a little bit, and that's ridiculous in my mind. Which is such a part of our old Adam, right? You know, and I think an excellent point that you made there about what we want versus what we need. And we've brought on this show many times, you know, that old German word for a pastor is Zalesorger, right? The, right, the, yeah. the care and cure of souls. He's a soul doctor, if you will, to give you what you need, which of course is Christ. And that's what we seek to confess. We're going to go ahead and take a break here. But uh, when we come back, I want to dig in a little more into your process as one who writes confessional Lutheran hymnody of how you go about confessing Christ as you do so clearly in your hymns. So we'll get that on the other side of this break. You're listening to Concord Matters on KFUO. Greetings, saints of our Lord. This is Brady Finnern of Thy Strong Word, and I'm excited to announce a new series in the Old Testament with First and Second Kings. Join us as we will see how the Lord worked through the kings of Israel and Judah. Join us to be renewed and refreshed by God's Word and to be pointed to our resurrected Lord Jesus. Every weekday from 11 to noon, live or on demand, because God has gifts to give for you. Welcome back to Concord Matters as we continue talking with Pastor Stephen Starkey, author of over 200 original hymn texts, 27 of which appear in our Lutheran service book. And Pastor Starkey, just before the break, you were making an excellent case for us of how our Lutheran hymnody centers us on Christ, how we confess Christ in our hymns, and how we can use our hymns devotionally to let that word of Christ dwell in us richly. Just some excellent points you made on that in the first half of the show the Christocentric nature of our Lutheran hymnody. So I want to go a little deeper into that here in the second half by talking a little bit about the process of how you go about your work as a Lutheran hymn writer in confessing Christ as you do so well in your work. And so to get us started in that, I guess a good place to start is to talk about how you start writing a new hymn and the process you use to begin the task of confessing Christ with a new hymn. So is there an image of Christ, a theological truth, or a particular teaching that is needed in the church that leads you to begin working on a new hymn, or 
How does that process of writing a new hymn start for you? Uh, sometimes a hymn text comes to mind after a study of scripture. Let's say you're preparing for a sermon, Bible study, and out of that sermonic and other preparation comes a devotional thought. Or, for example, I was this was during one holy week when I was uh, up at the altar speaking the proper preface for holy week. He who by a tree once overcame would be by a tree overcome. Speaking of how Satan overcame in the Garden of Eden, how he would be overcome by the cross. And at that moment, in the midst of that, you know, thought came into mind, that would be a really great hymn text. And the tree of life came out of that. That was the result of that thought. So sometimes there's a seminal thought that you pursue. Sometimes for me, actually, uh, we're going to talk about music a little bit as being the servant of the text, but music is very powerful. Music for me draws out textual strengths. For example, The Tree of Life was originally written to the Irish tune Wexford Carol, and it's a wonderful tune, not perhaps as congregational friendly uh, as the one that's not uh, matched to in Lutheran service book, but it's a very deep tune. Uh, Concordia Publishing House has done some choral settings to that particular tune. But um, anyway, the music could be a, a starting point for me as well. So devotional thoughts that you have studying scripture, uh, coming out of study. And sometimes it's just the the need that is there that presents itself. Uh, for example, this uh, coming Saturday, our organist, who's a young graduate from Concordia Mequon, is marrying a seminarian from Fort Wayne, who's finding out his call tonight. And so I wrote a wedding hymn for them, and uh, it's going to be sung at the wedding. And that was, you know, I wanted to do that for them as a couple, but especially for our organist who's been such a fine blessing to our congregation during the year that she's been there. Um, I have my granddaughter's baptism coming up in June. I was asked by Concordia Publishing House to start thinking about, they're already thinking about the 2022 Lenten series, and they asked me to write the hymn for that series. That's got to be done by mid-June, I believe. And then I'm I'm going to be working with Kevin Hildebrand on the anniversary hymn for Camp Arcadia in Michigan. And then uh, a local pastoral friend is going to be retiring at the end of 2022, and I would like to write a retirement hymn for him. He and his wife, uh, for my retirement, uh, commissioned a, a new tune for a text that I wrote, See That the Sower Sows, which was originally written for St. John Fraser. And Matt Mockhammer wrote a great tune for that, but this was another tune that they commissioned for that same text, and I wanted to you know, write this retirement. Actually, I was asked to write the retirement hymn by this pastor. So, so that's you know, so those things are sort of things that need to happen, and so you're sort of there's a different type of pressure than the creative thought of oh, I want to write a, a hymn text on this or that. So, as the need for the hymns comes from various areas. Which would make sense. Yeah. Previously, we did an episode following up and talking about art in the Lutheran worship space. We did an episode with Ed Riojas, All right. who's an artist. And so, you know, yeah, sometimes you get commissioned for a piece or, you know, and sometimes just inspiration strikes. And so that would make sense that in this kind of artistic task that it comes from various starting places, if you will. But then as you set about that task, what's kind of the path that you try to take in the hymn writing and the structure of it? Is there 
particular theological aspect that you want your hymns to embody and take on? I think that's always in the back of your mind. What is the purpose of this hymn? What is the, why is this hymn being written? What is to be the, the focus of this hymn? So to go back to that example we spoke of earlier in the Shattered Bliss of Eden, so it was an anniversary text for the theme, Christ's Blood Outpoured. And I actually get to those words in, I don't know if it stands a four or five, but it took all that time to build up to that, to get to that point. So that was my, it was going to be a communion hymn. I knew that. But, you know, leading up to that, or the structure was drawn from other various parts of Scripture. So it's, that's the importance, once again, if you're a hymn writer, of being familiar with Scripture and a Lutheran hymn writer being familiar with what needs to be in the text from a Lutheran standpoint so that it, the doctrine is confessed clearly and the Lutheran confession is underscored. So there's, every, hymn is, every hymn is different, too, I guess is another way of saying that, too. It's, you may you know, set down, because you have to write a hymn, there's ones that I mentioned need to be written, but I'm hoping that in retirement I have more time to do just begin writing. You know what I mean? The focus on whether it's scripture study at the time or really thinking seriously about the hymnal corpus and where are there gaps in the hymnal corpus that could benefit from a text, those type of things and exploring that. But Timothy Dudley Smith's hymn writing was largely done on his summer vacation with his family. They would rent a place, I think, by some seaside place there in England. And he consciously every morning spent the time him writing. You know, and that was really about the only time my understanding is that was the only time of the year he really concentrated on that was during those times when he could focus on it so clearly. So so I'm hoping to have more time for that. We'll see. People who are retired say they're busier than when they were working. So <laughs> we'll see how that unfolds. Yeah, and as you brought out there too, that you know, sometimes it's interesting where things might strike you. You mentioned Tree of Life came out from the uh, Holy Week which I didn't know that story before. And it's just a beautiful image because I too have found myself standing at the altar sometimes and I don't write hymns, but you know, I do write sermons and even doing the preface and so forth. I found myself doing that a lot this season of Easter with the Easter proper preface and just thinking about what are ways that this can work into my sermon and so forth. Because again, it's grounded on telling that story of Christ and all that he has done, and all that we confess in our faith. And so it just, it kind of draws the whole service then together. Right. As you were talking about earlier, that we don't just select hymns, you know, kind of willy-nilly, if you will, but that we're trying to present a unified message within a season, within a church service, and those sorts of things as well. Right. And that's what, for example, the baptismal service that I attended at the church on Palm Sunday, where there were no Palm Sunday hymns, think about, you know, right on, right on in majesty, all glory, laud and honor, hosanna, loud hosanna, uh, Timothy Dudley Smith's great text, no trample of soldiers, marching feet, uh, you know, uh, the royal banners forward go. I mean, all of these texts that could be sung on Palm Sunday to really focus, to set the stage, if you will, for what's coming in the days to come, we're not there. You know, it was just, it was like a service it could have been any Sunday service. It didn't have to be Palm Sunday because there was nothing in the songs that were sung to give you any cue as to what was going on. And then, too, I think we suffer a loss as a church. 
and I don't know any particular instances per se of a particular congregation, but I would say that largely as we look at American Christianity, there's a sense of where American Christianity really doesn't even know Lent anymore, like at all. I mean, they just, they don't have a sense of it at all. And Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Monday, Thursday, things like that are being lost. Do you think that that's kind of connected in with this as well, is that if we don't have our hymnody reflecting it, if we don't even have a way to sing, you know, just again, thinking of contemporary worship music, is that do they even have a way to convey Lent? You know, the whole idea of contemporary is generally, you know, that high emotion, you know, again, just that pure doxa, praise of God thing. But how do we praise God, especially as you're a a hymn writer and so forth, how do we praise God even in the more somber texts and tunes? Right. You know, to view praise, the highest praise of God is singing back to him the truths that he has given to us. You know, it's like, you know, that is such a high form of praise that speaks and sings these truths that God has given to us. I think that there's, you know, generally just a loss of faith that we're experiencing now in our nation. And this pandemic has not been helpful at all because as I reflect upon my own congregation from which I just retired, I had people that were super regular in their worship and they became irregular during this pandemic or non-existent. You know, well, I can watch the service online, you know, or whatever. We went to a live streaming during this whole time trying to uh, fill the needs. And so you wonder what's going to be the additional result of that thing upon the, the life of the church. And if other denominations that may be more uh, social work oriented or issue oriented, uh, the texts that are being sung may not be Christ centered either. They're really focused around uh, whatever the particular hobby horse is of the day. You know what I'm saying? Whatever group is being ignored and Here's a hymn to help underscore that group. You know, it's a totally different approach to hymnody. You know, uh, Lutheran hymnody, I think, just continues and needs to be anchored in Christ and anchored in the Word. Otherwise, you know, why bother singing something that's not anchored in the truth of God's Word, but rather just about how I feel about this or that? I really don't care about how you feel about this or that. I want to sing truth. And that's, you know... I think that whole concept of even having truth, the world is lost today, too. That, you know, you have your truth, I have my truth, and let's just all get along. But for a Christian, we have to take seriously God's word is the truth. And the center of God's word, you know, the article by which the church stands or falls, that we are justified by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, you know, that for the Lutherans should be uppermost in their mind, you know, that this is. It all centers on Christ and what he has done for us. Yeah, and as you make that point, it makes me think of, you mentioned the pandemic and kind of the loss of faith that's happening and highlighted in the pandemic. I remember, you know, back when churches were struggling, do we meet, do we not meet? Of course, there were some restrictions from certain states and it was different in every area and things like that. But individual Christians were also wrestling with this. And I remember reflecting, actually, again, upon one of your hymns that is just, I love it, it is in the shattered bliss of Eden. And you have that one great line in there, faith embarks with this assurance, only God can cover sin. And I remember actually reflecting on that, even just how that 
And again, as you said, that's a Lord's Supper centered hymn that you wrote there, that when that's our thinking, when that forms us in our thinking, well, I don't really have an option then. I need to be gathered with God's word and sacrament because that's where God has told me he covers my sin. Right. And so can you talk about that again a, a little bit? It's just, you know, how, how this forms and shapes us when we're centered right there on that key doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. And I'm going to make the point upon which I as a Christian stand or fall in the decisions that I make, right? That's exactly right. And so going back to the pandemic, and going back to my original definition too, Dogma and Doxa, sung in a corporate setting, you know, hymns do connect us to other worshipers as we are singing. While they can be used as private meditations, they are not merely private meditations, but they are to objectively confess the objective scriptural truth. And also, you know, there is a subjective nature, a subjective perspective of the faith. And, you know, they don't have to be dry, dusty texts, but rather let you know, the faith shines through. Like I think about a text by Gerhardt, Jesus, I bound this love to me. You know, what a great text, objectively stating the truth of Jesus, but then what that means for my life. And, you know, that's a beautiful text devotionally to meditate on or to sing together in a congregation. The tune that was united with the Lutheran service book, I think is a great tune for that text. But uh, if you're not getting it, let's say you're a layperson who's not really into scripture, you're not really devotionally active in the Bible, and then you're going to a worship service where you're not really getting any of the Lutheran strengths contained in hymnody and in liturgy and, you know, formed by the church here, can you at that point, you know, say, well, how Lutheran is this? I mean, the books that have nourished the church through the centuries, uh, the scripture, the catechism, and the hymnal, those three books. And so you take out any one of those, you know, it's like a three-legged milking stool. Does a three-legged milking stool work on two legs? No, not really. You know, so let's take out hymnody. I'm just going to use scripture and the catechism. Or let's take out catechism. I'm just going to follow scripture. Uh, You can do that. Yes, of course. You know, your faith can be totally nurtured by scripture. But why deny yourself the blessings that God has given to us through Luther's catechism, and then through our Lutheran hymnals that help gird up the faith and help keep us in the faith. And as you said, too, our beautiful reflections and productions of devotional thought, as you yourself have talked about in your own process, but even as you mentioned Gerhardt and so forth, too, he ministered during a time of plague, right? And war. Right, yes, yeah. And, you know, as he meditated upon our confessions, scripture, of course, and those sorts of things and how you engage those and just beautifully confess the faith. I think that's worthy of our contemplation in our present age. And it is a disservice to kind of cut those legs out, as you say, from underneath us. Right. And the other other thought, too, is the fact that, you know, hymns connect us to the church across time. You know, we are connected to the church through the ages. So uh, Shepherd of Tender Youth, that was one of, that was the opening hymn at church last Sunday. Well, that's one of the oldest texts in Lutheran service book. And so we're connected to the church of that time. And so it's always amazing to me when I look down and see, well, when was this text written? When was this tune composed? It connects us to those, those times. And even it connects us to those places. You can think about all of the different places that are 
uh, reflected by where that hymn writer is from, where that tune was composed. And that's part of the corporate nature of the church. You know, the church, yes, we're the church militant. You know, there's the church triumphant in heaven, but we're still one church. You know, we are joining our songs of praise with, with the saints in heaven. And this helps build the unity of the church. You know, I'm just not off on my own doing my own thing, but rather I'm connected to the church across the ages. And for someone to say, well, there's nothing that the past, the past has nothing to teach us. We are only going to choose our music from uh, the 1980s, 1990s, uh, current music. That's all that we're going to use. Well, it's almost very uppity, or I know that's not the right word either, but very judgmental to say, all right, we're not going to do that. And a pastor that does that is denying his congregation those treasures from the past. He's making the decision, or whoever is not using those in worship is making the decision, they're not worth anything. They're not worth you learning. And I totally disagree with that. They're more than worth learning and do things so much better within worship than much of what is offered today. Yeah, and we certainly don't want to you know, totally set aside kind of the emotional side of things that our hymnody does bring it. And what I mean is maybe like this, I'll give this example, that as in my congregations, we use primarily Divine Service Setting 3 from the Lutheran Service Book. And that's because we also still have the Lutheran hymnal, and that's the common service, and that's what they're familiar with, and that's what they've done for a long time. And as I go through that, I remember you know, sitting with my grandparents, my grandmother was a church organist, my grandfather, very active elder in his congregation. And I remember sitting there and going through that same service with them. And as we sing a lot of hymns, one of the common ones I remember is Lord, the I love, it's my all time favorite hymn, you know, singing that with my grandfather. And I feel connected with those dear saints who are no longer with us on earth, but whom I have shared and been nurtured in the faith with here on earth. Right. And always centered on Christ and what we're doing there in the service and in the hymnody and so forth. But then I think, you know, again, as you brought out Gerhardt and, you know, Shepherd of Tender Youth, you know, just these hymns that stretch all the way back to the earliest, that not only is it folks I have shared this time on earth with, but I get to share in this beautiful thing, something that connects me with I have not shared this time on earth with, but they have been on this earth and have beautifully confessed the faith in their own day and age, right? There, right? there is an emotional side to this, right? Yes, there is. You know, I get very emotional when I sing certain hymns, and it's it can be the content of the text, it can be the strength of the music, uh, it can be a connection to, like when I, I'm finding it harder and harder every year to go through All Saints Sunday, because, you know, I think about all my loved ones that are now with Christ, and what you're singing in those texts, the truth of what's being sung in those texts is just so strong. Um, you know, talking about singing into the heart, I wanted to share this example. My mother had Alzheimer's disease. And when I was in Connecticut and was going back and forth to, uh, working on the hymnal project, I stopped in to Bay City and it was at my folks. And there was one of the last times, I think maybe it was the last time that dad took mom to church. And she was at that point very not really communicating anything clearly and was just very passive and withdrawn. And so we sat down in the pew and the organ started playing and she folded her hands and uh, opening him was Beautiful Savior. And she sang Beautiful Savior. All of a sudden she started singing the text which she had memorized. And all of the, you know, through the service, you, know, you could tell that it was striking a responsive chord. And then 
the service was done and she was back in the fog again. And so, you know, I feel if we are not anchoring our people in these hymns that are going to be a blessing to them, not only now, but in the future, so that they know them, so that they're in their hearts, so they have something you can grab onto after, you know, time or disease has altered their mind. You know, I could I could read a German hymn text of my mother and I could see a change in her eyes. Absolutely. And as we even think about this emotional side of it again, that we don't completely set it aside, I also think about a lot of the tunes that your texts have been set to. Many of your hymns have very unique tunes. That is that they're not borrowed from other hymns. My wife, my organist at one of my congregations, always talks about how she doesn't like polygamous hymn tunes, you know, where it's the same <laughs> tune for, you know, six different hymns. And right. sometimes I like to tweak her just a little bit by, you know, selecting all the hymns with the same tune, <laughs> um, kind of like uh, Martin Luther used to do his wife, Katie, you know, but, you know, again, connecting to this, that again, as I think of some of your hymns, again, in the shattered bliss of Eden, uh, a lot of folks have really come to love in the last generation or so. We praise you and acknowledge you, O God, the powerful setting of the Te Deum that you have written a text to. And well, what are blood and spirit crying? You know, just again, these they're powerful texts and yet also very powerful hymns. And maybe I'm revealing my own bias too here is that I kind of like those militaristic. I think that's something that church has lost too, but that gets something emotional going in me too. Well, the thing that, you know, for we praise you, acknowledge you, O Lord. We were working on the hymnal supplement 98 at that time, and I, one of the hymns that was submitted was I Bow to Thee, My Country, which is the patriotic hymn for Great Britain that's to that tune. And I had never thought of that. I was familiar that was in Holds the Planets. I heard that melody, but I never thought of it as a hymn tune. And um, after that meeting back on the plane going back to Michigan, I wrote four stanza text to a Jochen Klepper churchier hymn seven stanzas that I condensed to four to that tune and sort of set it aside. And uh, it was over a year later, I began thinking about that tune again. And the thought was, you know, what a strong tune. It would, a text like the Tadeum could really work with that because it's such a strong tune. And it carries the weight of the text well, that particular tune. And in, a, in the music, it supports the text, I guess is what I'm saying. And it strongly supports the text. And, you know, Jeff Blurch's tune for Water, Blood, and Spirit Crying, too. And that was the text that I wrote with no tune in mind. So I don't do that very often. And I think I want to explore that a little bit more in retirement. But uh, there's a certain freedom to that, too, when you're just thinking textually and just thinking uh, that way from a word standpoint as opposed to being concerned about whether the text is going to match the strengths of the music. But anyway, it's such an important union of text and tune. The music can detract from a text, can not strengthen the text, or can do a really good job of strengthening the text. So. Yeah. And so again, there's this beautiful kind of thing that happens that they support each other or they can hinder, right? Right. As you said, but then that it again also evokes this sense of it brings something out in the person singing as well. And again, just speaking from my own experience, you know, I feel a sense of pride kind of like you might have with singing a patriotic hymn, if you will, that, you know, 
this is my Christian faith and it's bold and it's beautiful. And again, we're not necessarily against those sorts of emotions either, right? Right. It's just that my goal in worship ought not to be, you know, emotion. I should not come to church thinking, well, I want to be emotionally moved. Sometimes in some churches, some Reformed churches, you know, music is sort of there to warm up the crowd, if you will, to get them ready for the sermon, and that's it, you know. And uh, that's sort of manipulative in my mind, where the strength of uh, Lutheran music that's strong music with a strong text is that it just goes hand in hand. And the emotional response to that is just the response of faith. You know, this is really saying what I want to sing at, at this point. You know what I'm saying? It really is supporting what needs to be said at this point. And that's, the, I think that's part of the emotional part of our faith, that it's not just a dry, dusty thing, but rather connected to Christ. And that's that's important to us, and we have that response. Absolutely. And that's where I was thinking as well, is, you know, it's, it's all centered on conveying that message, right. confessing Christ. And that's even the tune though it may evoke some emotion in us, is there to support the message of that text and what we're confessing there. Right. Uh, with just a few minutes left here, I want to allow you to just give us your parting thoughts. What are things that you as a hymn writer want us as listeners to think about in hymns as we consider why Concord matters for confessional Lutheran hymnody? Go ahead and give us your thoughts there, Pastor Starkey. Well, if you don't have a Lutheran service book hymnal of your own, I would recommend that you purchase one and begin using that devotionally if you're not doing that. And I, you know, I would want people to, when they think about hymns, my hymns or other hymns, is to look for the truths that are contained there. And I think, I think you'll be surprised by everything that is there. You know, all the truth is contained in in that hymn text, and what a blessing that can be for you. And look for Christ. You know, that's sort of like a good touchstone. Look for Christ in the text. See how the truths of Christ are given in that text, which changes. You know, not every text is about, says the same things. It's like not every sermon can have everything contained in the sermon. You you focus on a particular thought or theme, but uh, every hymn, you know, in some way needs to reflect Christ and certainly undergird the truth of God's word. That is well said, and that is Pastor Stephen Stark, a great Lutheran hymn writer. Thank you so much. It's been an honor having you join us for Concord Matters today and discussing with us why Concord Matters for how you write for the church to sing her confession of faith in our Lutheran hymnody. And of course, as always, it's centered on Christ for you, and that is certainly the focus of your great confessional Lutheran hymns. So thank you, Pastor Starkey, for your great work in the church and for joining us here today. Thank you, Sean. It's a joy to be here. God bless you. Thank you. And thank you also, dear listener, for stopping by today. And until next time, keep confessing, church.